morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Sorry for the awkward stand. I have a timer. I'm not legally allowed to start until that happens. So I hope you're all doing great this morning. I was just telling the band, do you know how intimidating it is to follow a banjo? Like, you just don't understand. But I would love if we could take a minute to give it up for the worship team, not just the ones here this Sunday, but in a season of transition. They have come every Sunday and faithfully killed it. It's easy to stand up here and ramble for 25 minutes, but I tell people all the time, if you want a ministry to suffer, give me a mic to sing, and it's game over. So we're going to keep diving into our series on the book of Proverbs, and last week we learned about the importance of sort of choosing silence, this idea of potentially losing an argument to win a relationship, and I hope at some point this week, whether you actually chose silence or not, that you considered a moment that if you would have potentially just held your tongue and chose silence, that there could have been some, some benefit from that. And so we're going to build on that this week. But before we launch, I would love to clue you guys in on a little bit of my life. Some of you may have met my dad. He came here a little bit before the pandemic. I am a walking version of him, essentially. But he has worked for Bob King over on New Center for about 23 years as a part salesman, which is great as someone who has a vehicle that needs oil changes and repairs. It comes very budget-friendly, and unfortunately, I cannot share that with everyone. But for me, it's pretty great. And so as someone who loves cars, my dad has always been one of those changes oil himself kind of guy, changes windshield wipers, all that fun stuff. And just by being around my dad a lot, I've picked up on a lot of mechanical knows and know-hows when it comes to vehicles. So I don't change my oil on the regular, but if I ever wanted to, I could. And so I have a picture that demonstrates something that's a part of your car's dashboard that ironically enough, I learned as a 20-year-old that not every person knows about this fancy part of your car. So because of my dad, you know, when you are submerged in a hobby or a topic, you become numb to what you think should be very common stuff. I assumed every person who drives a vehicle knows what this means. So as a 20-year-old riding with one of his friends to go on a road trip, I'll never forget the moment he said, hey, man, we got to stop and get gas. And I said, yes, cars do that, so I get it. Let's stop. I'll never forget, he sort of asked me a question that caught me off guard, and he said, can you look in the side view mirror and tell me which side of my car the gas tank's on? And I thought he was joking, so I kind of laughed it off and ignored it. But then he followed up with saying, hey, man, like, seriously, if you could, like, look in the rear view mirror and tell me if the gas tank's on your side of the car, I would greatly appreciate it so I don't look silly and park on the wrong side of the gas station. And at that point, I realized he was not kidding. So I leaned over and looked at his dash, and I said, oh, dude, don't worry. It's on your side. And he sort of gave me that look of just shock and awe, as if I were a 70-year-old wise man with a beard down to my stomach. And he said, how'd you tell that from the dash? And it dawned on me, this 20-year-old who has been driving for at least four years never knew that his car has told him this entire time where his gas tank is. But, he never, but he's always used the side view mirrors, and he's always like had to ask people to look. And it's just, it, it was funny to me, but as I, as I recall that moment, it's like, man, like, People don't pay attention to your dash, which is scary because they're behind a vehicle. But the point being, if you ever look at your car and you ever struggle on what side the gas tank's on, there's a little arrow that tells you. So super easy. And with that story, we're moving in to talking about the importance of listening today. And we're going to unpack the reality that someone who is a wise person is marked by the skill of listening. 
And in fact, what we will really kind of unpack today is that wisdom is the ability to listen before you speak. And I'm sure you've heard that in some variation growing up as we are human beings who have to do a lot of interacting with people, that listening is often one of the best places to start if you want to build and develop a life of wisdom. And if you look at some of the wise people in your lives, the people that you would go to for advice, the people that you would go to for inspiration and wisdom, they are probably marked as great listeners. Which begs the question, as an individual, are you a great listener? And unbeknownst to you, I have already set you up to figure out whether or not you are a great listener. By the next time you go to fill up your car, if you look in your side view mirrors, you probably didn't listen to me this morning. And that is completely okay, because it's raining and it's Sunday. Whatever, you don't have to listen to me. But that's a great little step to take to figure out whether or not you're a great listener. But what we're going to unpack today is just the, what the ability to listen when it comes to relationships, when it comes to our faith, how it can change the dynamic of living in a wise way. To move away from, from foolish living to wisdom comes by being a listener and not just a talker. So our proverb that we're going to dive into today is Proverb 15, and it is going to be verses 31 and 32. And King Solomon wrote, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains wisdom. So what this is telling us is that as we go through life, we will have people enter into our life and will step up and give us wisdom, give us leadership, give us guidance. And that always doesn't rub us the right way. And so as someone who tends to do a lot of public things, I tend to get a lot of feedback from people, and I appreciate it. I have learned to separate attacking me as a person versus the performance that I'm actually giving. But one question that I always ask, and I encourage every single person to always ask when someone gives you feedback or give you criticism, is who is your source? Because we live in a world where there are people who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you, and don't have expertise in your field, but they love to share with you how you could do it better. And that really irks us when someone who has no idea what they're talking about and, has no, and who has no idea who you are tries to tell you how you can do it better. So my one piece of advice for all criticism is to always thank them, no matter how hard that may be. But number two, always consider the source. If a stranger who doesn't know you tries to tell you something that can improve your way of life, thank them and let it roll off. But if someone you love someone you trust, someone who has established a relationship with you is speaking into your life is because they, they are trying to get something better for you. They want better for you. So we would be legitimately foolish people if we did not listen to the voices that speak into our lives as they try to help spur us and encourage us and challenge us to just do better. Because there are people who, who know a little bit more through their own trial and error on how to help guide us. So that's our overarching heart today is that, you know, when people give us feedback and criticism, don't get ready to have a fight and square up at them. Give it some thought, wrestle with it, but trust the source. So then as we move into what this looks like relationally, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who if you're keeping score, I'm two for two and bringing into sermons, because James, we went through it as a church, James, I would almost consider to be a proverb of the New Testament. Everything he wrote was just so simple, so direct, so factual, and so easy to practice. And he wrote to his church members the following statement. He said, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
Now, relationally, in this world, you and I have probably noticed, they tend to operate the exact opposite of this. As people in life, we have noticed a lot of people who love to be very slow to listen, very quick to speak, and therefore very quick to anger. Because you've probably been in a situation where when you are more prone to speak, the more you speak, the more it's almost like gas on the fire. Like you tend to get yourself fired up. And when you get fired up, suddenly relationships not the most important thing on your mind. It's getting out of that conversation as the winner. And that's how we damage, scar, and, and hurt relationship, relationships. But what I love about James is he's saying that the ability, the discipline, and the challenge to listen, quick to listen, to listen first and more importantly than speaking, is how we establish good, healthy, and wise relationships in this life. Bob Goff, he's one of my favorite authors. You may have heard of him or read a couple of his books, but he is a lawyer, so, you know, a very low-stress job. And so he says that when he goes into meetings that he knows are going to be heated, they're going to be intense, they're going to be stressful, that when he sits down, he sits down with his hands on his knees and his palms are open. And you and I, when we get angry, it's one of the first things we do when we get really angry. We just clench up, right? Everything, our fist, jaw, whatever. We get defensive. We're just ready to, to either swing or run away. But Bob Goff has learned if he can sit in a tense situation and just open his palms, it's this posture of surrender, of release, that you're not gonna allow anger to, to overtake this moment and potentially harm another human being with your words. And so this is my first ever time doing something like this, so please bear with me. But I'm going to ask you all to join me in a practice where all we're going to do is mesh sort of the wisdom of James with something that Bob Goff does. So from now on, when you go into conversations or you get caught off guard by conversations that feel stressful, that feel intense, that feel frustrating, that what I hope we can do, you don't have to say it out loud because it'll look a little awkward if you say this to someone, but in your head, say, be quick to hear, but then you open your hands in whatever conversation. So on the count of three, if you will join me, we're gonna say quick to listen. So one, two, three, quick to listen. 70% is not a bad start for my first ever time doing that. So when you guys feel like you're in those moments where think you're feeling that your heart rate go up and your blood pressure spike because you're just ready to go at it, just be quick to listen. Get the full context. Figure out what's going on. Don't focus on the problem that's in front of you. Focus on the heart that's in front of you, that person who you're called to love and care for more than you are to just be right towards. So that's how it can kind of operate. That's how listening can operate relationally. And little do we probably realize listening and hearing is really the starting point of your faith. And in fact, the apostle Paul wrote this line to a church in Rome. He said, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So when you embarked on a journey with Jesus, you didn't just wake up one morning and go, man, I just wanna follow Jesus. And if you did, that's pretty cool because I didn't do that. But as I sat underneath teaching and I heard and I listened, there was something that, I've, that I was listening to about this Jesus guy that just captivated me. Like there's something different about him. There's something unique to him that's different than the way of this world. And if you look at the ways of the world, it is not very fun and it is not very successful, but something about the way of Jesus seems like a much better choice. And so as we hear and as we listen to Jesus, that actually is what spark plugged our faith. Like you would not follow and listen to a band unless you heard and listened to their music. 
that would make you a bandwagon person. No one wants to be bandwagon people. So hearing is what sparked your relationship with Jesus. And what I love about what Paul is saying here is that through the word of Christ in Paul's context is not the Bible, because when Paul said this, there was no Bible. And Paul didn't even know that his letters would be preserved, printed on paper, and sold millions and millions and millions of times. So he was encouraging the church of Rome that what we would consider to be like those red letters in our New Testament, those words, when you hear and when you listen to those words, it does something to your heart. Someone captivates your heart when you hear those words. And you and I know this, on our darkest days, it's not necessarily songs or movies that sort of bring us out of tough seasons. It's hearing promises of Jesus spoken over our lives. It's blessing. It's hearing Jesus come to you and say, listen, you are so loved. You were worth dying for. And a rough day can still be salvaged and made good knowing that someone was willing to put their lives on a cross for you and call you their child. So the words of Jesus have such power in our lives when we listen and hear them. And so one thing that I love about Jesus is he would not ask us and challenge us to do something unless he were willing to do it himself. And so I love this account in the book of Luke where Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. He's doing life. And he and his mom and dad, they go into town. They're probably going to Costco or something. And as they're in town, Jesus goes to the temple. This, this will make some parents cringe, I'm sure. But Mary and Joseph make their way back home only to realize they don't have Jesus. So I'm not saying they lost Jesus because Jesus may have made the choice to stick around and like hide himself because he can do that. But regardless of why it happened, Jesus got left at the temple and Mary and Joseph have to make a three-day journey all the way back to get him. That's a long time to think your child is lost. But when they find Jesus, he's not doing sort of crazy shenanigans. He's sitting in the temple and he, it, Luke records that they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. This sounds like it doesn't mean a lot and it's just kind of random words, but Jesus as a 100% human still has 100% of his divinity on this earth, meaning he is still the all-knowing God and yet he is in a temple asking, asking teachers questions and listening to them and learning from them. Jesus already knows it all. So why would we have to read about him doing this? And the reason is, is because Jesus was demonstrating in his life early on that listening was going to be a fundamental part of his ministry on earth. And Jesus is demonstrating that by listening, he was able to enter into a relationship with these teachers. Could you imagine being one of these teachers? And then 20 years later, Jesus starts doing work as a Messiah. Your resume suddenly went from here to here. You taught the Messiah at 12 years old. Like that'll get you hired at Chapel Hill if you wanted. That's crazy stuff. So, Jesus demonstrated early the power of listening and what it does. And for the rest of our time, we're going to see some pretty crucial moments where Jesus chose a posture and a practice of listening and how it completely unraveled and changed the lives of people that he interacted with. So the first one, Jesus showed love and added value by listening. And we see this with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Now, I think this is one of my favorite accounts and interactions in all of Scripture. There are so many layers that we could peel back and unravel in this one interaction. But to set the scene, there's a Samaritan woman, and she goes to a well to get water at around noon. 
Now, that was a no-go in those days because they're in the middle of a desert. So it was like Wilmington in the middle of July, but even hotter, if you can imagine. And this woman was going to get water. So Jesus met her at this well, and he sparked a conversation with her. Now, there are several cultural and even racial divides that Jesus broke through for this interaction. As a Samaritan woman, Jesus should not have interacted with her because the Jewish people and the Samaritans had a very tense relationship that was marked and full of violence and harm. So you did not want to do that. This woman has a past, as we're going to find out in a little bit, and so she was deemed unclean, and Jesus being a rabbi, he is supposed to maintain cleanliness. And then also just the unfortunate reality of the, the gender roles in those days. Women were ultimately viewed and considered property before Jesus came and spoke value into them. And so just those three layers alone, Jesus is unpeeling as he has this interaction. And as Jesus talks to her, he essentially begins to pick out her story. He goes, you know, hey, why are you here? And ultimately what we find out, the reason this woman went at noon is because all the other women went when it was dark and it was cooler, but she knew that when she traveled with that group of women that that all they did was talk bad about her because of her past and her story. Because Jesus would reveal to us and then remind this woman is that she's been married five times and the guy she's currently living with and doing life with is not even her husband. So Jesus takes a moment to step into this woman's life, listens to her heart, listens to her cry, and then eventually when it's his turn to speak, sort of calls out the, the hidden stuff that she doesn't want to see. But when Jesus leaves this conversation, when this Samaritan woman leaves the conversation, she takes off back to her town and starts to tell people that she has had an encounter with the Messiah. And all of it, this encounter with the Messiah started because Jesus was willing to listen to someone who was an outcast, to someone who was unclean, to someone who was not supposed to be engaged with because of the racial tension, all these layers. But when Jesus showed up to this woman, she was met with love and with value just by listening. The next one, Jesus often would would stop to acknowledge people's suffering. Dramatic story number two, woman with a blood disorder in Mark chapter five. So there's so much to this. This is like modern day soap opera, if we could watch this play out on movie. But there's a woman who's had a blood issue for 12 years. I cannot even fathom the physical toil that a blood issue of 12 years would take on a human body. Cannot imagine. On top of physical toil, she also has a social toll because when you have something wrong with your body like that, that can't be explained, you are marked as an outcast. There's something wrong with you, and so therefore you can't just simply join society as a normal person. So she was, she's been outcast for over 13 years. She's been bleeding nonstop for 13 years. In the nicest of ways, this woman's life is an absolute mess. But something convinces her that if she can get to this Jesus guy, if she can just touch Jesus in any way, that she'll be healed. And so Jesus is making his way through towns, and there's hundreds of people touching Jesus. He is a celebrity at this point. People are trying to just get to him, talk to him, interact with him. But Jesus is like focused, and he's walking. And with hundreds of people touching him, this one woman ends up breaking through the crowd and just barely grazing him, touching the the hem of his garments, Mark writes. And when she does that, she suddenly gets healed. 
And not only does she suddenly get healed, but for the first time that we see, some of Jesus's power left him when the woman touched him. Now, Jesus, again, being all-knowing, could have kept walking because he knew the woman was going to touch him and he knew the woman was going to be healed. So he could have kept walking and this woman has her miracle and has her story. But Jesus still chose to stop and he turned around and said, who touched me? And the woman, I'm sure very nervous, responded, it was me. And again, he gives her a moment to speak. He enters into her life. And as a result of that, this woman leaves forever changed. Not just because she's healed, but because someone has given her value. Someone acknowledged her suffering and someone cared for her. Now, pretty story, super great. There's also another dramatic story playing out at the same exact time with a guy who had originally approached Jesus and said, hey, my daughter's dying, can you come save her? And Jesus says, I love your faith, yes, I'll come save you. I'll come save your daughter. But suddenly, the woman with the blood disorder jumps into the story, stops Jesus, she has her awesome moment, and then the guy who's trying to get his daughter saved, some of his workers come to him and say, hey man, don't bother Jesus, your daughter died. The implication being, if Jesus had never stopped for this woman, your daughter could probably still be alive, but Jesus made his choice, so don't bother him anymore. And again, Jesus being a listener, someone who cared about the cries and the heartbreak of people around him, looked at that man and said, dude, I promised you that I would have your back and I got you now. And long story short, Jesus would make his way to this man's house and heal his daughter. And so what we see is that Jesus, even though he was a busy man, he was never rushed. He always prioritized taking a moment to stop and listen to the cries and the suffering of people around him. And this final one, there's no one moment to really highlight because Jesus just did it almost in every interaction. But Jesus only offered the answer or the solution to problems after listening to the other person. Hopefully you're not this person, but I'm sure we've all met that person that while you're trying to explain to them your frustration or your stress or your issue, they're like constantly sort of jutting in with, the, with an answer. It's not the right answer because they don't really know what you're talking about, but they just keep trying to solve your problems, keep trying to be the hero of your story. And so you can't even get your stress and frustration out before they're trying to solve it. That is a temptation of mine because I want to be everyone's hero. I am not, by the way, but I want to be. And so I have had to make it such a point that when people come and talk to me, that I listen. That's all I want to do. And in my time of practicing that, I've realized I don't have to be a hero. And that's awesome because I cannot handle any more pressure just trying to wake up and be Davy every single day. Like I can't handle any more stress. But especially with Denise, she is, I don't know if there's any Enneagram fans in here, but she's a four, meaning she's the romantic type, which means when it comes to relationships, the highs and lows, she loves to feel every single bit of it. As a very empathetic person, that means both of us end up being very exhausted in a lot of our conversations. But one thing I have learned is that even though I think a conversation should only last one minute, it could end up being 15 or 20, and that's okay. But in that entire time, I don't have to say a word. Because Denise, as a processor, just needs to get it all out. I don't have to tell her how to do anything because after a 15 to 20 minute conversation, essentially with herself, she works her way back to the best solution that she needs. And I didn't do a thing. 
And listen, it's free for her. It's very discounted to y'all if you need a listener. So I'm really good at it. I've gotten really good. So feel free to, to take me up on that offer. But what I love is, that, is the fact that because Jesus, when he interacted with people, he didn't just look at people and say, stop sinning, do better, turn your life around, get healed. Jesus always entered in. He heard people's stories. He established relationships. He gave them a reason to trust him just by listening. And then once the people have essentially allowed Jesus to enter into their lives, Jesus revealed to them, I am your answer. I am your solution. I have the power to help you get through whatever you're facing. And if you and I are honest, the reason that we ended up putting all of our trust, all of our faith, and surrender all of our lives to Jesus is because he listened to us. In our moments of defeat and pain and agony, suffering, desperation, you name it. In those moments when we had no one else to cry out to, we cried out to Jesus. And he not only heard us, but he entered in and he listened. And he's listening today. Whether you think it or say it out loud audibly, Jesus is hearing and listening to every single thing, which should not be deemed as a scary thing because we don't always think and say the best of things, but it should be a reminder of that intimacy that Jesus has gained in your life just by being a good listener. And for you and I today, what we see from the life of Jesus is just by going to someone and trying to steer them in the right direction or scare them straight, it doesn't do much. To be a true reflection and a representer of Jesus means that we establish relationship. We establish trust. We listen to the stories and the heartbreak of the people around us. We listen to their struggles. We listen to their temptations. And when we look at them, we say, I get it. I've been there. That stinks. Those are two of my favorite lines in all of problem-solving conversations because it acknowledges the fact that they're going through something that every human being goes through and that I've been there before. I know heartbreak. I know loss. I know struggles of trying to pursue a career and not be in that place yet and feeling like as a 27-year-old, my life's going to like end in three years if I'm not a pastor, you know, entering into people's lives and reassuring them that as a human being, I get what you're going through and just acknowledging that what they're going through is tough. That's miserable to have to go through such long stretches of life and feel like there's no hope. But the reason that you and I can do that to others is because Jesus did it with us first. Jesus faced every temptation and every struggle that we did. And so when we go to him and say, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm facing. He looks at us and he says, I get it. I've been there. I have faced worse, but I have faced what you faced and I'm gonna help you get through it. So worship team, if you wanna to make your way up as we wrap up, what I hope you walk away with today is that when we listen to Jesus, we gain wisdom. Jesus is the genius when it comes to living. And Jesus is a genius because he molded, shaped, formed, and holds all of creation together. And so when we take the words of Paul and we listen to the words of Jesus, we will gain wisdom. And when we listen to others, we get to reflect Jesus to them. I was sitting at a coffee shop this morning and had a guy come up to me and spark up a conversation about the benefits of mushrooms. 
And I was very unprepared for that conversation because I'm not someone who uses mushrooms on the regular. So I was very unprepared for this, but we ended up talking for 15 minutes. And what struck me about the conversation was not that I learned a lot I didn't want to know about mushrooms, but when I was leaving, he said, hey man, I just want to let you know, I don't think anyone has given me the time of day of a conversation in three weeks. And that's when it hit me that one, I get to practice what I'm preaching before I preach it, so that's good. But two, there is such relational equity in just listening. And listening does cost time, it costs energy, it costs effort, it can cost a lot. But the payoff, to give someone who hasn't had a conversation in three weeks, to brighten their day when it's raining outside and they're just sitting by themselves, not only did it change their day, but it changed mine. Because it made me realize, though it was a conversation about mushrooms and full of words I can't repeat at all, he got a glimpse of something greater than just a guy sitting at a coffee shop. He got a glimpse of someone who is trying his best as an imperfect person in an imperfect world to just listen, to care for people, to enter into their lives and say, hey, you're worth listening to. And everyone is. You are the sibling that bothers you, the parent that you don't feel like gets you, whoever it may be, they're always worth listening to. And just by listening, we can demonstrate and reflect the life of a savior who chose to listen to us. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for not only giving us a voice, but for giving us the opportunity to be heard by you. I thank you that in our heartbreak and our frustration, when words don't do us justice, that you still manage to find a way to listen to us. That your love and care for us is so immeasurable that you would just spend every waking moment to listen to us. In a world of 8 billion voices, you still somehow hear each and every one of us so intimately, and you listen to all we have to say, and you do something about it. So I pray that as we go out in this life, that we would be great listeners, that we would learn that our words are pretty powerful, but listening could be just a little bit more powerful. And so we're grateful for the time to be here this morning. We pray that you would just continue to work in our hearts and our lives. And we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.